the HMS Titanic. She was the largest, fastest, and best ship in the world, with the most luxurious amenities, latest engineering, and literally millions of dollars had gone into perfecting every detail. And besides, she was so big, she couldn't possibly sink. Her very name, Titanic, tempted that fate as though she was allied with the very group of fabled giants of old called Titans, who waged a furious war with the very forces of creation. On she fought this behemoth of ships, beating back the waves, the surge, until she met a silent and deadly force of nature that after just a mere touch would show to all she was fragile as a shell. And then she sank, one of humanity's proudest handiworks, the greatest sea vessel of all time. She was engulfed by the true titan, the sea. On a five-day sailing across the North Atlantic seas, my husband and I crossed over the place where, 100 years before, the SMS Titanic came to rest on the ocean floor beneath two and a half miles of frigid water. That night, the crew had told us that at 1 a.m. we would pass over the site of the Titanic. We felt that even though all there was to see was the ocean itself, we should still stay up and go out and look over the place where such a tragic and historic event happened. Hundreds of people went down to their death in a watery grave in this spot. What happened next was one of the most eerie things either of us have ever experienced. What lies beneath? The Titanic itself. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. friends and taphophiles. I'm your host, Lachelle, and today I have with me your favorite co-host with the mostest, Taylor. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> Thanks, Taylor, for hanging out with us today as we kick off our fall shows and our spooky season. Yay, our spooktacular. <laughs> well, in April of 2012, it was the 100th anniversary of the launching and the sinking of the Titanic. Brad and I, we try to go on a trip by ourselves once a year. Of course, the last few years don't really count. <laughs> but in 2012, we found a cruise that we wanted to go on. And I guess it seemed a fitting time to sail across the North Atlantic on the same voyage <laughs> that the Titanic was meant to have taken, only backwards. Smart. Starting in New York and ending in Southampton, England. So we embarked there in New York, across from Liberty Island and the Statue of Liberty, then sailed to Halifax, Nova Scotia, then across the North Atlantic Sea to Ireland, then Scotland, and then England. Big trip. The trip was absolutely amazing. We sailed with Princess Cruise Line, and they were fantastic. And yeah, they didn't advertise this cruise as, hey, come sail where the Titanic sank. <laughs> it might but, not go over so mm -hmm. well. <laughs> but since it actually was where it sank and it was the 100th year anniversary, it kind of became a theme, so to speak. And there was a lot about the ill-fated journey of the Titanic. They did lectures about the Titanic that we found really fascinating we also found out just how rough the North Atlantic Sea can be. Ooh. That ship rocked so much out there in the North Atlantic. It just, I mean, I do it with my hand. I don't know how to say it over <laughs> podcast, but it was rocking and rolling. It was deep diving down and then up. You could feel the up oh. and down, up and down. So many people on board were seasick, but not me. I don't really. Well, lucky you. Yeah. I don't really get motion sick, so I was just like, 
ooh, rocking me to sleep every yeah. night. It is a little hard to walk around on deck when <laughs> it's tipping back and forth, but I was just along for the ride and just yeah. thought it was... I would have been... It was like, puking my guts out. Oh, that's, because that's I true. Because I am worse when it comes to yeah. getting motion sick. I get motion sick on a swing sometimes, so <laughs> on a ship, I'm oh, sure it would babe. be pretty bad. <laughs> so just before midnight on April 14th, 1912, the Titanic struck an iceberg, which, as we know, tore into the side of the ship, causing compartments to rupture and flood with water. It would only be a few hours until the Titanic would be completely swallowed by the ocean in the early hours of April 15th. Which is kind of crazy because that seems like a long time mm -hmm. for a ship to sink, but it was hours because of everything that happened. The Titanic had a total of 20 lifeboats. Supposedly that was more than the required number by Board of Trade, but definitely not enough to rescue all passengers and crew. Only about a third of what was needed. Oh. And I read also that even during that day, there was a law requiring them to do lifeboat drills. Mm -hmm. And when the time was to do it, it was cold outside and the captain didn't want all the women to get cold and people oh, to be brother. uncomfortable. And so I think this was on the same day. But whenever we've gone on a cruise... They make you do it the first day, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like you're barely on there and it's like, all right, here's where Makes your sense. muster station is. You need to know where your life vest and mm -hmm. what boat you would be on. And yeah. I can't help but almost every single time we do that of thinking of like the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> just because it was just such mayhem. Now it's so... It's organized. It's so organized well, and you because feel of this, pretty good about it. That all right. these cruise ships know what to do. and Unfortunately, we learn from past mistakes as well as good things that happen. The ship had approximately 2,244 souls aboard. The evacuation was disorganized because of panic. And not all the people even knew of the danger. Women and children were loaded in and set into the water. But most of the lifeboats were released without even reaching their full capacity. All in all, only 705 people were able to escape the sinking ship. The rest died in the frigid waters of the Atlantic, while others went down with the ship all the way down to the bottom of the ocean where it became an underwater graveyard. Our first stop was in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Halifax, after the Titanic sank, was the nearest place to where the ship had sunk. Mm -hmm. So most of the rescue efforts had come from there and they returned back with the dead. Some of the deceased were shipped home to family, but many were interred there in Halifax in three different cemeteries. There's also an incredible museum there, the Halifax Maritime Museum, and is a must-see while in Halifax, especially if you're interested in the Titanic. Makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Definitely. <laughs> we definitely are, so the Maritime Museum was our first stop. You can easily walk there from the port there are many photos and Titanic artifacts. As the rescuers came upon the scene, there was so much wreckage floating on the still water. Folding deck chairs, windows, doors, papers, and many of these things were collected and some are here in the museum. China teacups, salt shakers, and even books, if you can believe. And a tiny pair of baby shoes from a little unidentified boy but more about him in just a minute. Mm. So there in Halifax, there are three cemeteries, like I said, that the people brought in deceased were buried. The main cemetery used was the Fairview Lawn Cemetery, which has 121 victims of the Titanic sinking, wow. more than any other cemetery in the world. It's further from the port, so you need to get transportation out there. Most of the victims are memorialized with small gray granite markers with the name and date of death. Some families paid for larger markers with more inscriptions. The occupants of a third of the graves, however, have never been identified and their markers contain just the date of death and marker number. 
so sad. Surveyor E.W. Christie laid out three long lines of graves in gentle curves following the contours of the sloping site, but by coincidence, the curved shape suggests the outline of the bow of a ship. A grave marked J. Dawson gained fame following the release of the 1997 film Titanic, since the name of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in the film is Jack Dawson. Mm -hmm. Many people after seeing the film were moved by the story and would come leave flowers and ticket stubs at Dawson's grave. And flowers even continue to be left to this day. Film director James Cameron has said that the character's name was not in fact inspired by this grave. More recent research tells us that the grave actually belongs to a Joseph Dawson, an Irishman who worked in Titanic's boiler room as a coal trimmer. The Fairview Cemetery Titanic graves also include the burial place and marker of William Denton Cox, a heroic steward who died while escorting third-class passengers to the lifeboats. Six of the previously unknown Titanic victims were identified in 1991 with the help of the Titanic International Society. Newly inscribed headstones bearing their names were unveiled on September 23, 1991, at ceremonies attended by the Halifax mayor, Titanic survivor Louise Pope, and more than 50 members of the society. 19 more victims are buried in the Roman Catholic Mount Olivet Cemetery and 10 in the Jewish Baron de Hirsch Cemetery. Each cemetery has informational panels indicating the location of the grave sites. So now back to our little boy. One of the better-known Titanic markers in Fairview Lawn was for an unidentified child, and he was known for decades only as the unknown child. He was found in the rescue efforts, and when his body was brought into Halifax, no one claimed him. So he was buried with funds provided by sailors of the C.S. McKay Bennett, the cable ship that recovered his body. The marker bears the inscription, erected to the memory of an unknown child whose remains were recovered after the disaster of the Titanic, April 15, 1912. The unknown child was identified as that of a child around two years old, who was initially believed to be that of either a two-year-old Swedish boy, Gosta Paulsen, or a two-year-old Irish boy, Eugene Rice, two other fair-haired toddlers who perished in the sinking. It's so, so awful. It's so sad. Where's their mommies? Well, I think we know. <laughs> I know, but I would have mm. held on to my baby. Yeah. Dear life, they would have frozen to my body. <laughs> In 2002, the American PBS television series Secrets of the Dead, and being the nerds that we are, we love that show, mm -hmm. <laughs> they actually misidentified the body as a 13-month-old Finnish baby based on DNA testing of three teeth and a small weathered bone. They erroneously identified the child as Eno Panula. He was a tiny Finnish boy who died during the sinking. Eno was traveling with his mother, Maria, Emilia, Panula, and four older brothers. The family was heading to Coal Center, Pennsylvania, to join their father, Juha. All six members perished in the disaster. The real Eno Panula's body was never recovered. So his whole family. His whole family gone. That poor, poor dad. dad. Poor man. I know. In 2007, Canadian researchers at Lakehead University tested the child's HVS1, a type of mitochondrial DNA molecule and it did not match the Panula family. The DNA extracted from the exhumed remains and DNA provided by a surviving maternal relative helped positively match the remains to Sidney Leslie Goodwin. The re-identification was announced. Although the bodies of two other children, both older boys, were recovered, it was Sidney who came to be a symbol of all the children lost in the sinking and a marker was recently added to the memorial with his name and dates of birth and death. His pair of shoes that we saw at the museum was donated in 2002 by the descendants of a Halifax police officer 
who guarded the bodies and clothing of the Titanic victims. The little boy now had his name back. He was actually Sidney Leslie Goodwin and was a 19-month-old boy from England. His entire family perished that fateful night, and Sidney was the only member of his family whose body was recovered and subsequently identified. Sad. Sidney was born on 9th of September in 1910 in Melksham, Wiltshire, England. He was the youngest child born to Frederick Joseph and Augusta Goodwin. Sidney had five older siblings, Lillian, Charles, William, Jesse, and Harold. Little Sidney's father, Frederick, had heard from his brother Thomas about an opening of a power station in Niagara Falls, New York. It was due to open in 1912 and would have been his employer had he lived. Frederick, a compositor, packed up his wife and six children to prepare for the move. They booked third-class passage on the SS New York out of Southampton. But due to a coal strike that year, the vessel's passage was delayed, and they were transferred to the RMS Titanic. Yikes, bad luck. They boarded the Titanic in Southampton as third-class passengers. Not much is known about the Goodwin's activities during the voyage, except that they may have been separated by sex in opposite ends of the ship. Frederick and his older sons in the bow, and Augusta with little Sydney and the girls in the stern. Why would they separate them? I'm not exactly sure sex. why they did that. I don't know if there was enough people that were traveling alone that maybe had to share rooms and they just had one. You know, back in those days, mm -hmm. they did lots of that separating by so weird. men and women on one side or the other. But it seems like with you're a family. You should have two rooms by each other. I don't know. That's strange. By the time the Goodwins received a warning about the collision with the iceberg, all the lifeboats had been launched. The entire family perished in the sinking. Dang, it's messed up. In September 2020, the Smithsonian Channel aired The Curious Death of a Titanic Child about the identification of Sidney Goodwin as part of the Curious Life and Death of series. And the double nerds that we are, we saw that show too. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> Along with Eno's and Sydney's families, roughly 1,500 people died when the Titanic sank. And of that number, approximately 1,160 bodies were never recovered. Wow. So there are so many people that were buried at sea, either by the rescuers or by going down with the ship. Yeah. I wanted to mainly focus today on the people that have no marker or that were buried, so to speak, there in the middle of the ocean, no place to visit their grave and tell a few of their stories. The majority that are buried there in the ocean were men. Men in those days lived in a time of chivalry, of women and children first. And it was strictly enforced, with exception of the first boat, who supposedly was all nearly all men because there were no women on deck yet. Then wait! I know. <laughs> so I guess some guys got on that. Dumb. But the stewards and the stewardesses were ordered down below to summon the people from their staterooms. And when they came rushing out, some were dressed in their pajamas, robes, nightgowns, and some were still dressed from the evening activities in their fancy evening wear. Mm. Most of the passengers did not believe that there was any risk to them. When the stewards went to some staterooms, the occupants simply refused to get up. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> Why would you not believe that there is any risk? They literally told you, yeah. the ship is sinking. Get up on the deck so you can get in a boat. And they're just like, nah, I just want to sleep here. Yeah. They had to be told there was imminent danger, and even then, they slowly dressed, leisurely appeared on deck. There was not a panic or mad rush for the boats for the most part. They weren't worried. They were on the Titanic, and it could not possibly sink. Most of the women were torn from their husbands unwillingly to be put in the lifeboats, and many husbands told their wives that they would see them soon when the all clear was sounded and the women and children were brought back to the ship. Whoa. That this was all just a precaution just to be safe. 
There was also a rumor circulated that the men would catch the boats on the other side of the ship after all the women and children were put to safety. And the men bravely stood on the deck as their wives and children were rowed away from the ship. I can't imagine losing Marcus. Oh, that would be so I, awful. I can't, yeah. As the women moved farther away from the ship, they were able to see from that perspective that the boat was indeed sinking. They then knew that their little excursion was really a life-saving measure and that the Titanic was indeed in real danger and that their men were going down with the ship. Women that were saved gave these next statements and stories after their rescue about those men who put their wives and children on the lifeboats and were seen standing at the rail of the ship, waving their arms, blowing kisses, and calling farewell to their families. John Jacob Astor was said to be the wealthiest man on board the Titanic and was said to have composure and cool bravery and was the calmest man during this time. He smiled as he helped the women into the lifeboats. Don't worry, the Titanic will not sink and we will all be saved, he said. He, Major Butt, Major Butt, yep, Major Butt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was a Major Butt. He was a Major Butt. <laughs> he, Major Butt, Mr. Guggenheim, Mr. Widener, and Mr. Thayer, these are some names mm -hmm. here, clustered in a group as if they were holding a quick consultation as to what steps should be taken next. Then Colonel Astor came forward with the cry, Not a man until every woman and child is safe in the boats. Several women noted the parting of Colonel Astor and his young wife. They said Mrs. Astor was frantic. She clung to her husband, begging him to let her remain on the Titanic with him. When he insisted that she save herself, she threw her arms around him and begged him with tears to permit her to share his fate. Colonel Astor picked her up bodily and carried her to a boat and placed her in it. John Astor had to jump into the lifeboat four times and tell her that he would be rescued later. This After would be us. We're like, no. Yeah, exactly. I want to stay with you. After the fourth time, he jumped back to the deck of the sinking ship and the lifeboat bearing his bride was lowered to the sea. And therefore, she was spared from his fate. Mrs. Henry B. Harris said, quote, as we went on the deck, we passed groups of men and women laughing and joking. When we reached the main deck forward and saw the lifeboats being swung overboard, the seriousness of the matter began to dawn on us. Then came the command of women and children first. Many women had to be forced into the boats, some thinking it was a joke and others refusing to be parted from their husbands, fathers, and brothers. When the passengers saw the seriousness, with which the officers and crew of the Titanic went about their business, they began to realize that something terrible had happened and began to make their way towards the lifeboats. Colonel Astor and Mrs. Astor were standing near us. When the men came to her and told her to get into a lifeboat, she refused to leave her husband's side. Then I was asked to enter one of the boats. My husband told me to go, but I did not want to leave him. He reassured me, saying the danger was not serious and that he would follow after me in a short time. Still, I could not believe that everything was as he said. I felt that if I left him, something terrible would happen. The officers told me I would have to get into a lifeboat. My husband told me to, and finally I was led to the side and lowered into a boat. Mrs. Astor had left her husband and had been placed in another boat. As I was being lowered over the side, I saw my husband and Colonel Astor standing together. My husband waved his hand. That was the last that I saw of him." Unquote. Also in the boat with Mrs. Astor was a newlywed bride of eight weeks, Lucine Smith. She said that there were only 26 people in the boat, mostly women, when an officer gave the order to lower the boat. She said there was plenty of room for more people and she pleaded with the captain to allow her husband aboard, but her pleas were ignored. She recalled how they were set adrift with one sailor who was also drunk. So drunk, in fact, that he couldn't even row the boat and the women had to do the best they could rowing about in the icy waters. Mrs. Julia Cavendish said that her husband awakened her that night and told her that the Titanic had met with an accident 
She put on her wrapper, and they both rushed to the upper deck. She also tells that many people said the steamer was in no real danger of sinking and that the women and children were being loaded into the boats when the cry rang out, save your lives. Her husband kissed her goodbye and bade her to remain in the boat, saying that he was all right. Just as the lifeboat was being lowered, she kissed her husband again. Miss Daisy Minahan, who was with her brother and his wife, said that her brother, Dr. Minahan, did his part in saving the women. Then, with a farewell smile and the last words, be brave, to his wife, he went back on the deck, which even then was awash under his feet. There were more than a score of brides in our party on the Titanic, said Miss Minahan, all coming back after their happy honeymoon abroad. We brought 20 of them, widowed by the terrible catastrophe, to homes of mourning and tears instead of happiness and bliss. Daisy Minahan said, quote, I lingered with my brother and his wife, loath to leave them, although we all knew the ship was sinking and that the ocean would soon swallow up all that remained of the steamer. We both begged my brother to come with us, but he said, no, I will remain with the others no matter what happens. Then when it was time to go, when the last boat was being lowered to the waterline, we were hurried into it by my brother, who bade us goodbye and said calmly but with feeling, be brave, no matter what happens, be brave. Then he waved his hand and our boat shot out just in time to escape being borne down by the suction of the Titanic as it went down. As the ship settled, there was a terrific explosion, which rent it in two, and as it sank beneath the waves, I could see my brother waving his hand to us, although it is hardly possible that he could see us, for none of us had a light. I shall never forget the calmness and quiet bravery that the men on board showed us as they stood on deck and awaited the inevitable doom. Occasionally, some of them would peer into the night toward our boats and wave at us. Then they would walk back to the group and everything would grow still again." Unquote. Another horrific event in all of this was the necessity to close the watertight doors. You know that there were people trapped down below, but we don't know how many. The officers, fearing an explosion below decks, called for volunteers to go below to draw the fires. Twenty men stepped forward almost immediately and started down. To permit them to enter the hold, it was necessary for the doors to be opened again, and it was after that one could almost feel the water rushing in. It was said, but just a few minutes later, that all hands were ordered on deck with life belts. Captain E.G. Crosby calmly said to his wife and daughter, Better dress. All the other passengers are doing it, as he entered their stateroom shortly after the collision. He hurried on deck to assist the other men. That was the last time either his wife or daughter was to see him in his life. One of the stories of love and loyalty that goes down in history is that of Isidore and Ida Strauss. Philanthropists and all-around good citizens and people, after 40 years of love and fidelity, they refused to be parted in death. A newspaper article read, As the world was better for their united living, so it shall be better for their loyal and undivided death. Isidore Strauss was an American businessman and politician. Along with his brother, he was co-owner of the department store R.H. Macy & Company. He was also a member of the United States House of Representatives for a year. He died in the sinking of the RMS Titanic along with his wife, Ida. Born into a Jewish family in the Kingdom of Bavaria, he immigrated to the United States along with his family when he was around nine years of age. His father established several businesses, including the department store, R.H. Macy & Company. After being involved in it for several years, Isidore and his brother Nathan gained full ownership of the store. As a politician, he served as a U.S. congressman for some time. He was also president of a social institution named the Educational Alliance. The U.S. President Grover Cleland had offered him the post of Postmaster General, which he declined. Isidore Strauss married Rosalie Ida Blunt in 1871. The couple were quite devoted to each other, and they had seven children. Isidore Strauss and his wife were passengers on the RMS Titanic when they were traveling back from a winter vacation in Europe. Although Isidore was offered a seat in a lifeboat, he refused, as there were still other people aboard. His wife also refused to be separated from her husband and said that she wanted to die together with him just as they had lived together. 
the couple died when the Titanic sank at 2.20 a.m. His body was found and buried in the Strauss-Kohn's mausoleum. It was moved to the Strauss Mausoleum in Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, New York in 1928. However, his wife Ida's body was never found. Survivors, especially those from the steerage, told of the heroism of two Catholic priests who, after assisting women and children into the last boat, gathered about them the doomed passengers and calmly sought to comfort them in the face of approaching death. The story of hope and faith shown by Father Biles of England and Father Peroschwitz from Germany is comforting. Quote, the two priests had held Sunday services in the morning and that evening for the Catholics of various nationalities, addressing them in German and English. The first news of the disaster brought the priests to the scene. After the women and children were sent in the boats, men of all nationalities gathered about them and sought comfort and hope. The two priests raised their voices and calmly, as if in the sanctuary, repeated over and over again the rosary. No man was turned away, regardless of their faith. As the sinking vessel listed more and more, the crowd about the priest grew larger, and all joined fervently in the prayers. Those in the boats pulled away from the vessel could see the men kneeling on the deck. But it is related that in the last moment, when the lights went out, no shrieks were heard nor cries of terror from the group where the faithful pastors serenely and devoutly sought to comfort those about them." Unquote. As the Titanic sank gradually in the water, the water reached the engines and an explosion tilted her decks and her list was even more pronounced and every moment more critical. Still, the lifeboats were loaded with only women and children until the last one was loaded and swung away just in time. The rest of the multitude of people would now share the fate of the sinking Titanic. Many leaped into the sea, swimming to bits of floating wreckage as they struck the water. Most of these drowned or died of hypothermia, Though through some miracles, some were picked up by the lifeboats, and some kept themselves afloat by means of drifting boards and ship furnishings. At 2.20 a.m. Monday morning, with the captain at the bridge, her bulk aglow with twinkling lights, the majority of her passengers looked out to sea from her decks. Her string band, playing nearer my God to thee. Then the lights winked, and the black mass surged under, and the death cries of the hundreds broke into the quiet night. George Bowden of Los Angeles, California, an athlete and head of a cement manufacturing concern who was rescued said, quote, I was in my cabin and was preparing to retire when the crash came. It did not seem serious then. I put on an overcoat and went to an upper deck. I was beside Henry B. Harris, the theatrical manager, when he bade his wife goodbye. Both started toward the side of the boat where a lifeboat was being lowered. Mr. Harris was told it was the rule for women to leave the boat first. Yes, I know, I will stay, Harris said. Shortly after the lifeboats left, a man jumped overboard. Other men followed. Captain Smith was washed from the bridge into the ocean. He swam to where a baby was drowning and carried it in his arms while he swam to a lifeboat which was manned by officers of the Titanic. He surrendered the baby to them and swam back to the steamer. About the time Captain Smith got back, there was an explosion. The entire ship trembled. I had secured a life preserver and jumped over. I struck a piece of ice and was not injured. I swam from the steamer when there was a series of explosions. I looked back and saw the Titanic go down. Bow first. Hundreds of persons were in the water at that time. When the great steamer went down, they shrieked hysterically. When I jumped from the steamer in the water, the band was still playing. The lights on the Titanic were lit until she sank." Unquote. Mrs. Alexander T. Compton and her daughter Alice were devastated over the loss of their son and brother when he went down with the ship. She said, quote, When we waved goodbye to my son, we did not realize the great danger, but that we were only being sent out in the boats as a precautionary measure. When Captain Smith handed us life preservers, he said cheerily, 
They will keep you warm if you do not have to use them. Then the crew began clearing the boats and putting the women into them. My daughter and I were lifted in the boat, commanded by the fifth officer. There was a moan of agony and anguish from those in our boat when the Titanic sank. And we insisted that the officer head back for the place where the Titanic had disappeared. We found one man with a life preserver on him struggling in cold water. And for a minute, I thought that he was my son, unquote. The lack of time and sufficient lifeboats caused the death of approximately 1,500 people. Many of them went down with the ship, never to be recovered. I read on a wonderful site called Encyclopedia Titanica many really great biographies of the people who were lost. So if you're interested in anything Titanic, this is the place. They had a list of all the passengers and everything that they had on them. Wow. So they had pictures of the ones that were found deceased in the ocean and their effects that they had on them, the things they had in their pockets. Wow. What they knew of them from mm -hmm. census records and, and what they were doing on the boat, you know, where they were going, whether they were lost or saved. It really was a great place to just do a deep dive on everything Titanic. The book that I took many of the quotes that we just read from is called Wreck and Sinking of the Titanic by Marshall Everett. And it is a compilation of articles and writings from that very time. And that's why they hmm. have the firsthand accounts from these people. So yeah. it was published in 1912. So just within months of that. Oh, so wow. that's where that's where all of those came from. The rescue efforts came from Halifax, where many were taken aboard the RMS Carpathia, which is the ship famous for rescuing survivors from the lifeboats in the frigid North Atlantic ocean waters. But there were hundreds of bodies flowing amid the wreckage, and ships were sent out to bring as many as they could in to be identified and to receive a burial. Less famous are the C.S. McKay Bennett and the C.S. Minia, the ships that retrieved the majority of the fatalities that could be found at sea. Two days after the sinking of the Titanic, White Star Line chartered them. To carry out this grim task, each ship was outfitted with embalming supplies, coffins, undertakers, and clergy. Out of the 333 bodies found at sea, 328 were found by Canadian ships. The rest were found by ships passing through the North Atlantic. Ooh. Oh, Just random ships? Yeah. They were, oh my mm -hmm. goodness. The McKay-Bennett recovered 306 bodies, of which 116 were buried at sea, and 190 brought into port. The bodies recovered at sea included the American John Jacob Astor IV, who was the richest person aboard the Titanic, Isidore Strauss, owner of Macy's department store, and architect Edward Austin Kent. Soon, the McKay Bennett was running out of embalming material. The ship could only return the bodies to Canada if they were embalmed first. Huh. So, this led to the McKay-Bennett's captain, Frederick H. Larnder's decision to only bring back to the shore the bodies of the first-class passengers. Wow. Yeah. The others were buried at sea. I don't know how anyone makes that kind of decision as to who goes back and who gets buried at sea, but it seems like class shouldn't have been... Nope. That's really messed up. The bodies brought back to Halifax were taken to a temporary morgue set up at a curling rink. Oh. Can you, I mean, it's hundreds, 300 bodies. It'd be cold enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the medical examiner made his reports, there was 1,285 pages of reports, like I said. They put down everything concerning the 328 Titanic victims that were recovered. The first victim recovered at sea was Walter John Van Billiard. Thus, he's given the identification number one. He was a nine-year-old boy described as having light hair. The report described him as wearing one gray coat, 
one blue coat, gray woolen jersey, white shirt, gray knickers, black stockings, and black boots. Effects found on this person were a purse containing a few Danish coins, a ring, and two handkerchiefs marked A. His body along with the body of his father, Austin Blyler Van Billiard, was returned to his grandparents in North Pennsylvania for burial. His older brother, 10-year-old James William Van Billiard's remains were never identified as recovered. We know a lot about the fate of the Titanic's first-class passengers because in those days, the press thought the first-class folks were the only ones worth talking about. Less is known about the people traveling in second and third class, which is especially sad since 76% of third-class passengers died in the sinking versus 58% of those traveling in second class and just 39% of those in first class. And a lot of the third-class passengers and second-class passengers were those that were employed with mm -hmm. the ship as well, which is part of that. As Brad and I pondered the stories we heard, and as we headed across the sea for days without land in sight, we couldn't help but think about those on board the Titanic for all their various reasons. Some were coming to America to start a new job, some to buy a farm with an apple orchard, some to give a sermon, some to meet their fiance and start their new married life together. Some just were on a trip on the maiden voyage of the most famous steamliner. After about three days at sea, we neared the area that the Titanic rests at the bottom of the ocean, over two miles below the surface. The crew of our ship told us that it would be 1 a.m. if we wanted to go out on deck at that time. We decided that this was something we had to do. I felt disappointed when at a few minutes to one, we went out on our balcony and all was pitch black. We could barely even see the ocean. It had been a cloudy night and there were clouds covering the moon and the only light was from our own ship reflecting on the wake that we made as we plowed through the still ocean. It was okay, we weren't expecting to see anything in particular. Mm -hmm. So we stood, watched, and spoke in hushed tones. This was a holy place. We had a silent prayer in our hearts for those who had perished on that terrible night exactly 100 years before, who right here on these very waters had been taken down and buried in a graveyard at the bottom of the sea. And then, at the stroke of one o'clock, the clouds covering the moon began to part. I kid you not. The moon was full, and as the clouds parted, the entire moon was finally uncovered, and the light of the moon spilled out of the clouds and landed softly down onto the ocean in a pool of reflection. The water was like glass, just like on that fateful night, and we witnessed what felt like a gift from heaven a holy anointing on the waters covering the place where they lay. It was beautiful and really eerie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting goosebumps as you're talking about it. We watched in awe for five to ten minutes, and just as easily as the clouds had parted, they pulled back across the moon like a giant stage curtain closing, and the reflection disappeared. And again, it was all black. Wow. And you got photos of this? Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> I don't see how you couldn't. That'd be way too amazing not to. I will be sure to post them on the blog. So go and look at them and you see the different stages of the moon coming from behind the clouds and the light spilling across the ocean. And we were just like mouths hanging open. It was at one o'clock precisely over where the Titanic just light flooding so. that area and just wow. and then five to ten minutes later zoop, all gone past the place Ooh. yeah <laughs> it was wild <laughs> so check out on the blog and you will see these amazing photos it was a moment I will never forget we had goosebumps all over it was amazing now people wonder and ask the question of experts 
are there still human remains inside the Titanic? I was just thinking that as we were talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the other thousand bodies? While the assumption is that decades in the ocean would have led to total disintegration, the discovery of the wreck of the Titanic in 1985 also prompted a debate over whether there could still be human remains inside the wreckage two and a half miles below the surface. Mm -hmm. As we know, most of the bodies were never recovered, but some say there are remains near the ship. So people wonder if they lay on the ocean floor, under sediment, or even inside the wreckage of the Titanic itself. Well, we can only imagine in some of the staterooms or places that were closed off that there could still be remains, bones maybe. Mm -hmm. After the wreck was discovered in 1985 by Robert Ballard, there have been numerous explorations since, and in one, a photo was taken that suggests that corpses were indeed dragged to the ocean floor. And the image shows a crumpled, large, overcoat with a boot protruding from beneath its seam. Hmm. So it seems unlikely that a boot and a coat would have landed, you know, perfectly, yeah. you know, right <laughs> Those like are things that. that could float yeah. to clothing. But they saw no remains whatsoever attached to those. So weird. They think that those have just disintegrated and are now are part of the sediment of the bottom of the ocean. Sure they didn't just like disappear? You know? <laughs> no, I'm not sure it's of not anything. It's not like Pirates of the Caribbean where they just <laughs> oh. got up and started walking on the ocean floor. There you go. Hmm. Creepy. We don't actually know. We, we do not. <laughs> the way that the clothes are arranged makes it look like someone's final resting place. Christina Kilgrove, a biological anthropologist at the University of North Carolina, told Discovery News. These images were taken during an expedition by the National Oceanic and Atmosphere Administration and explorer Robert Ballard. There have also been shoes found together. Hmm. So these are not shoes that fell out neatly from somebody's bag right next to each <laughs> other. James Delegato, the Director of Maritime Heritage at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, told the Associated Press in 2012. The way they are laid out makes a compelling case that it is where someone has come to rest, he said. James Cameron, who directed the film Titanic and who has done extensive research, says there are no bodies on the ocean floor. Cameron has visited the wreck 33 times and said he has seen zero human remains during his trips to the depths. We have seen shoes, we have seen pairs of shoes, which would strongly suggest there was a body there at one point, but we've never seen any human remains, Cameron said. Some scientists have said that at the depth, even bones would turn to sediment and would dissolve. The shoes that have been found were once worn by people, certainly, but those bodies would be gone now. However, a theory exists that deep within the wreck, within closed cabins, identifiable human remains could be found because of the cold, pressurized environment. But as of now, no one has reported seeing any evidence of bones still intact in any of these trips to the Titanic wreckage. And since no one can access these cabins and pressurized areas, for now, we are only left to wonder. But on these trips, we do know that thousands of non-organic artifacts have been recovered, including napkins, menus, binoculars, keys, a bracelet, gloves, and a chandelier. Third-class passenger Milvina Dean was just two months old when the Titanic went down. She, her mother, and her brother were among the first passengers to escape the sinking ship. Her father, who helped get them to the boat deck before the crowds arrived, did not survive. Dean had no memory of the sinking, of course, and she went on to live a very long, mostly ordinary life. After the sinking, her family abandoned their plans to emigrate to Kansas and returned to England on board the RMS Adriatic, 
which would be so scary yes. <laughs> after having survived Can you imagine the Titanic your sinking? family on another big ship. Goodness. According to The Guardian, she became a secretary and lived pretty quietly until there was a sudden renewed interest in the sinking in the 1980s. And she suddenly became a minor celebrity. She said, quote, until the wreckage of the Titanic was found in 1985, nobody was interested in me. <laughs> Who expects to become famous at that age? End quote. <laughs> she was that. one of the ones that was there at that rededication of mm. the baby's grave and mm -hmm. putting the new information marker. Mm -hmm. And that's why, because she lived really, really long. She was the last survivor. Wow. So she was both the youngest survivor of the Titanic as well as the last surviving passenger. Interesting. She died in 2009 at the age of 97, and her ashes were scattered in Southampton at the same docks where the Titanic set sail. Aww. Aww. So the 1,496 people who died that night suffered a terrifying and agonizing death. And any paranormal enthusiast will tell you Strong emotions such as these, paired with untimely death, are key ingredients in a haunting. Yes, I'm excited for this part. <laughs> for seven decades, the RMS Titanic and all its contents sat at the bottom of the Atlantic until underwater excavation teams brought the historical artifacts back up to the surface. Now, these pieces of history, in addition to incredible recreations of the ship's interior, are offering realistic tours of what it was like to be on the massive ship. The exhibit at the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas seems to be a hot spot for paranormal activity. Ooh. Have you been to this? I think I went with my dad. I was only like nine. Uh -huh. I remember seeing a museum with some pieces of the Titanic. We did, and it was really amazing. Yeah. I didn't I'm see sure any cool ghosts, though. Dang it! But, now we gotta go back. <laughs> <laughs> but it features over 300 artifacts that appear to have the spirits of former passengers attached to them. The number of scary stories from employees and visitors to the exhibit who have come into contact with items from the Titanic seem to be stacking up. So when you go through, they give you a name of a person and what class cabins they were in. And then at the end, you look at the list and see if your person lived or died. That's sad. They have one area that's all cold and looks like the deck of the ship. You can also see what each of the class cabins looked like. They have recreated mm -hmm. things like that. The grand staircase. The exhibit at the Luxor included a portrait of Bruce Ismay, one of the Titanic's builders who was kind of disgraced after he led the sinking ship on one of the lifeboats, leaving women and children behind. So he was one of those men on like that first lifeboat that was just full of men. Probably. <laughs> Where he was just like, yeah, he's like, women and children first. Like. I don't care. And witnesses on the lifeboats claim he kept his back to the ship as it sank. And allegedly he was the one insisting the ship speed up even after receiving ice warnings. So it's his fault. <laughs> it's he, he definitely bears some of the blame. He was blasted in the newspapers and practically shunned after he arrived safely after so many died. Yeah. Apparently the souls of those who died in the Titanic, you know, might not be so fond of him either. Mm -hmm. It's been reported that one morning as the crew came in to open the exhibit, they found his portrait on the floor. <laughs> So trying to, figure, <laughs> trying to figure out how it got there, the manager watched the surveillance video from the night before and was stunned to see the picture just began shaking and then looked just like it was pulled from the wall and put on the floor as if done by invisible hands, but no one was there. Someone was very, very angry about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'd be angry too. <laughs> on just another note, as we were crossing the Atlantic... We actually got in late for when we were supposed to be docked in Ireland because they spotted ice. There, oh my gosh. We had to go around an ice flow. Wow. So it just goes to show like that time of year, there's ice. There's It has been for 
hundreds of years yeah. and you just have to be super careful. Just blasting through it is not... Wasn't the great idea. A good idea. It's also been reported that the Titanic artifact exhibition has a ghost wandering its grand staircase. Ooh. Employees and guests have witnessed this woman wearing black period dress with a striking white collar and her hair put up in a bun. As one photographer prepared for the opening of the exhibition, he saw the woman come casually walking down the grand staircase. He was startled, to <laughs> say the least. He hadn't seen anyone enter, everything was still locked up, and no one was allowed on the staircase anyway. It's kept roped off. He figured she was part of the exhibit and asked if she'd like him to take her photo. She ignored him, and he went back to setting up and then suddenly, she was directly behind him. <laughs> Again, he offered a photograph. He's not even, he's just like, <laughs> he's lady, like, what? Do you want a photograph <laughs> Do you not? not want your photograph? She must have not seemed very creepy. She must have just seemed like a normal person. Just then. like a person, just yeah. walking down. And then this time, she didn't just ignore him. She vanished. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. There's another person, Frederick Fleet, a British sailor. He was the lookout for the Titanic, and he's the one that spotted the iceberg and warned them, iceberg right ahead. Though apparently his warning came too late for the ship to avoid at the speed it was going. Fleet did survive the sinking of the Titanic, but he seemed to carry guilt and depression afterwards. And after his wife's death, just after Christmas of 1964, he got evicted from his brother-in-law, and he hung himself in the house's garden. His grave went unmarked until the Titanic Historical Society erected a headstone for him in 1993. However, witnesses have claimed to see him keeping watch over the Las Vegas exhibition's promenade deck, driven by his guilt to keep watch, even in death. Many staff, visitors, at the exhibit at the Luxor, they all think it's extremely haunted. <laughs> Eerie sounds, unsettling feelings, and actual sightings of ghostly specters have all been reported. An artifact expert, Joe Zimmer, says that he has had a lot of things happen to him there from the spirits that he thinks to be attached to these objects on display. He's had his name called out loud, his hair and his clothing tugged on, all followed by the sounds of laughter. <laughs> he has been thoroughly creeped out while closing down for the night, knowing that he was alone, but hearing a phantom orchestra. Ooh, that is creepy. Mm -hmm. That's super creepy. It is also said that the former home of the Titanic's captain, Edward John Smith, that his spirit is still occupying his house. Ah. According to Louise and Neil Bonner, owners of the former home of the Titanic, Captain, have reported unexplained icy chills passing through them, strange noises, and even full-bodied apparitions of the Captain. Nope. I'd nope right out of there so fast. <laughs> the property also has suffered a flood in the kitchen and unusually cold gusts in the dining room. According to Mr. Bonner, some years ago we had a single chap living in there and he rang up one day convinced he had seen the ghost of the captain. Bonner went on to explain that he was in bed when he saw him drift across the room. No, yeah, like I said, I would have noped right out of there <laughs> real fast. <laughs> As they like to say in Ireland, the Titanic was built by the Irish and then sunk by the English. Oh. In Belfast, where the Titanic was constructed, the Titanic Belfast Museum has been established and seems to have a presence all of its own. In 2013, a woman touring the Titanic Belfast Museum was able to listen to the final distress call of the RMS Titanic. She described the events in a letter to podcast hosts of realghoststoriesonline.com. She claimed that while hearing the original Morse code and seeing the words on the screen of the RMS Titanic's distress call, she became overwhelmingly emotional. Her heart was pounding. She was anxious and heartbroken. 
as if she was feeling everything the radio controller felt as he sent out the call. She was shaking, feeling sick to her stomach, and began crying. She said she felt consumed by her empathy and needed air, so she wandered down to the nearby dry docks, still feeling overwhelmed. As she stood, thinking of the radio controller, the words playing over and over in her head, sinking, sinking. She felt a hand on her shoulder, and a male voice said softly, It's okay. She assumed it was her friend and reached up to brush his hand, but realized no one was there. Was it the spirit of the radio controller, Jack Phillips, she wonders? Was he reassuring her that he was at peace with what happened and she should be too? She felt a warmth and calm wash over her then, but says the words of that distress call still haunt her today. Wow, that's pretty crazy. That one, I kind of like that one. That one was cool. He's like, it's okay. But the lady come down the stairs and just appearing behind the photographer. That one's creepy. I would not be able to handle that. At least she didn't have a real scary, like, face and was like, you know. Yeah, I guess that's true. (laughs) He thought she was just a regular lady. (laughs) You know, at least he's just like, all right, lady, now do you want your Yeah, he's like, okay, pushy much? Maybe you should answer me next time. Why are you in my space? (laughs) We could literally talk for days about the Titanic and all of the stories and all of the whys of what happened. Yeah. Why did they wait before they started getting people up and out? Why did they wait to put the lifeboats in the water? There were so many whys. As you read more about the accident, I just got more and more whys of how this happened. And if you are conspiracy buff person, there are even conspiracy theories as to why the ship sank. And even that it wasn't the Titanic ship, but that it is its sister ship, the Olympic, that had been in a previous accident and that was really sent out on that voyage. I watched a whole documentary about it the other day and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So where's the Titanic then? They just it is did... actually the Olympic. Oh, you think they like switched them or something? That's what the conspiracy was. So you'll have to, if you want to check huh. into that, there's a lot of people that are like, no, 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 that can't be. But there's also some kind of compelling evidence as well. So interesting. it's a deep dive. It's a rabbit hole. <laughs> so interesting though. Yeah. One's theories. And... It's a wild story, and it's still to this day. Like we're still completely into the story. Like, yeah. Well, it was. It's a big tragedy. I feel like that. Yeah. Big tragedies like that get attention from other all kinds of people just because mm-hmm. it's a big tragedy. Something crazy happened. Mm-hmm. So I wanted stuff. to try and touch a little bit on the lives of the people that were lost there at sea that didn't get a burial and their family didn't get that closure that they are literally buried there at sea from my experience it's still a holy resting place and thank you taylor of course you know i love doing this the titanic it evokes feelings of terror sadness heroism and even romanticism Even 100 plus years later, we are still as intrigued as ever. I want to leave you with a piece by Beecher called Unmarked Sepulchres. Oh, what a burial was here. Not as when one is born from his home among weeping throngs and gently carried into the green fields and laid peacefully beneath the turf and flowers. No priest stood to perform a burial service. It was an ocean grave. The mists alone shrouded the burial place. No spade prepared the grave. No sexton filled up the hallowed earth. Down, down they sank. And the quick returning waters smoothed out every ripple and left the sea as though it had not been. To those who by their arts and deeds followed in the footsteps of him who suffered on the cross and who now sleep in unmarked sepulchres of the sea, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows.
About the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stones bones and shadows also don't forget to check us out on facebook like us on instagram follow us on twitter and leave us a comment we love to hear from our listeners